if you have a, a lesson sheet there, in our next three lessons, in our next three lessons, we will examine Jude 17 through 19, where Jude concludes the longest division of this, of the epistle. So, and we give you the breakdown here from uh, many of you. How many of you have an old Schofield reference Bible? Amen. Many of you do. I do. Um, I got one in Bible college. This is just the breakdown of the book of Jude, the outline of Jude uh, from the Schofield reference Bible. Part one is introduction. So you have a blank line there. So part one is introduction. That's, of course, where uh, Jude introduces himself to the reader. And uh, mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. And then part two, verses three and four, occasion of the epistle. The occasion of the epistle. Really, verses three and four are the key verses of this epistle. It tells you why it was written both in the affirmative and the negative. The affirmative being uh, that you should earnestly contend for the faith. Why? Because in verse 4 it tells us that certain men crept in unawares. And what do they do? They pervert the gospel of grace into a license to sin. They're ungodly men. And so uh, he says, you, you, if you're going to defend the faith, if you're going to stand for the faith, if you're going to contend for the faith, you've got to be ready because apostates are lurking. Okay? So uh, part one, introduction, verses one and two. Part two, occasion, the epistle, the apostasy. And then part three, historical instances of apostasy. We've talked about that many times. These are the, the, group, uh, the group instances of apostasy. Sometimes they're called the corporate examples of apost apostasy, meaning corporate, meaning group. And you have in verse 5, you have the, the mixed multitude that came out of Egypt that all weren't saved. All came out of Egypt, but all weren't saved. Uh, verse 6, you have the angels which left their first estate and sinned. Uh, and then we have in uh, verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, so these are the historical instances of apostasy. Then, uh, part four, we have apostate teachers described. Apostate teachers described. And it, it really starts there in uh, verse number eight, if you look at it there, it, with that little word, likewise. It's comparing the current apostate teachers, just like those groups we just talked about. So likewise, also, and by the way, you can just really look at that little uh, word, these. Every time you see these, it's, it's talking about these false teachers, these apostates. These filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, speak evil of dignities. Uh, verse 10, if you look down at there, it says, but these speak evil of those things which they know not. Uh, verse 12, these are spots in your feasts, uh, and, and it goes on there. So historical uh, instances of apostasy, part 3, verses 5 through 7. Apostate teachers describe all the way to verse 19, which in these three lessons we'll be concluding uh, this set. But then, uh, part 5, true believers assured and comforted. Now, I'm glad that the epistle of Jude, which, by the way, forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, the, these passages that we've been studying, these Wednesday nights, uh, they're, they're heavy. They're heavy. They're, 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 forgive me, they're dark. 
It's dark when you talk about people that, that really are not going to be saved. Amen. They, they've crossed God's line. It's, it's a difficult thing to look at. I'm glad it ends with comfort to God's people. Because that's what it begins with in the introduction, mercy and grace and peace. But then as we close out here, and we're going to look at that in part five, but the conjunctive word, but, in this passage, and, and again, uh, you didn't know there was going to be an English lesson tonight, but I, I think we all know what a conjunction is. It connects two phrases and contrasts them. That's what a conjunction does. And so uh, the conjunctive word but in this passage literally takes from the dark world of apostasy in the bright light of God's love and care for his children. Think about it. We just finished off in verse number 16 there where we, we talked about how to spot an apostate. They're murmurers, they're complainers, they walk after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's person and admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, we've been talking about the apostates, these. Now God is addressing an entirely different group. Beloved. By the way, the apostates are not his beloved. They're the ones that hate him. They're the ones that scorn him. They're the ones that scoff at him. He's moving here. So uh, his care for his children. Verse 17 continues with the word beloved. This is the Greek word, and your, your King James Bible was uh, translated, the New Testament was translated out of Koine Greek, amen. So this Greek word, is the word agapetos. Now, I think most of us who've been around church and, and uh, know that Greek word, that root Greek word there uh, of agape, and that is a selfless love, as a self-sacrificing love. We would call it this, we would call it a John 3.16 love. Agape love. And so he, he says here, uh, uh, but beloved, agapetos. It means beloved, esteemed, dear, favorite, worthy of love. I get to thinking as a pastor of the things that I say on a consistent basis. Um, if you get our calling posts... I'll say, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Say that all the time on the calling post. If you, if you follow on social media, you'd say, you'll see where I, when I post a prayer request or something, I'll say, dearly beloved of Loomis Park Baptist Church. Why? Because that's what you are to me. That's what you are. You, you are esteemed. You are beloved. You are dear. You are worthy of love. It is used, this word beloved, is used 62 times in the New Testament, 62 times. And it's translated, several different words here, it's translated as beloved 47 times, dearly beloved nine times, well beloved three times, and it's translated beloved Three times in Jude. Let's look at them. We're, we're, we're here in this wonderful book. 
It's the first time we see it is in verse number three. After he finishes the introduction, he is about to get into the meat, the key verse here. And what does he call God's children? He said, beloved. When I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith, the whole of Christian doctrine, which was once delivered for the saints. So the first time he uses this phrase in Jude is where he announces the purpose of this writing, that you would be able to contend for the faith, beloved. I tell you, Forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, let me just open up on a Wednesday night. I got so heavy on Sunday. I, I, not when I was here. I was blessed when I was here. I got heavy just to thinking of the condition of the world and how quickly it's deteriorating and how quickly, how quickly those who named the name of Christ three years ago gave up on corporate worship, just gave up on it. No, no, I, I, I'm not doing that anymore. And I thought to myself, what would it take? What, what if tomorrow there were police at road junctions and they said, you can't go here? You I wonder what it, what, if, if how many of us would just say, well, I guess that's it. I got heavy about that, Mr. Robin. I just thought, I thought, what would I do? I live 10 miles from church. What if I couldn't get gas? Would I, would I be willing to walk to church? Would I be willing to gather with God's people? Get to thinking about that. Beloved, he says, beloved, contend for the faith. And then in verse 17, obviously, uh, we just read that. It's uh, the transition uh, part here. He says in verse 17, but beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles. And we're going to get into that in just a moment. Then verse 20 he said, but ye, beloved, he, he finishes in verse 19 with the final uh, words about apostates. They, these be they who separate themselves from the grace of God, from the mercy of God, from the goodness of God, from the rules of God. They separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit, but ye, beloved, <clears throat> building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. In essence here, Miss Mary, he says, they don't have the Holy Spirit, you do. Boy, that's important. You know, the difference between being saved and lost is whether you have the Holy Spirit or not. That's literally the difference. It says that in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. It says we either have them or we don't, period. So he's, he uses that word beloved three times here. And... Jude then encourages believers in verse 17 to what? Remember. What's he say in verse 17? But, beloved, remember ye. And so we're going to look at really just number one tonight, and we have more that he's going to talk about here in verses 18 and 19. But number one, he says, remember the words concerning the apostates. Remember the words concerning the apostates. Look at verse 17. He said, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you said, I thought you said it was the words regarding concerning apostates, Pastor, not apostles. Well, the apostles are going to warn about the apostates. 
We're going to look at that. But this is so important, and we're going to look at these verses tonight. Verse 17 is an important verse regarding the fundamental doctrine. And when you hear somebody say doctrine, they mean teaching. Okay, that's what doctrine means. Good di- Every church ought to have good Bible doctrine. That's teaching and preaching, amen? That from this pulpit should flow teaching that is in accordance with this book. Amen. So, verse 17 is an important verse regarding the fundamental doctrine. Now, when somebody says that, fundamental doctrine, this is a doctrine we can't live without. Okay, now listen, I don't know anything about cars. Okay, Brother Cole, I know this. You can live without the radio. I know this in every one of my cars, Brother Boston, you can live without the cigarette lighter. Because every one I've ever had, I just yank that thing out. Amen, don't need it. I know you can't live without the engine. I saw a video the other day of a lady that was driving on three tires. And sparking. I think you need four tires. That's kind of a fundamental, amen? Think about it in your own body. Listen, there are some parts of our body, thank God, in the goodness of God, that we can live without. You can live with one kidney. You can live with one lung. You can live with one eye. You can't live without your heart. You can't live without your liver. You can't live without your pancreas, amen. You know, there's just things that are fundamental. When we talk about the fundamental doctrines, the fundamental teachings of the church, we're talking about things that if they are to take away, then we don't have a church anymore. Now, I'll give you an example. The bookend fundamental doctrines of the Lord Jesus Christ are the virgin birth and the resurrection. If you don't have the virgin birth, then you don't have a sinless Savior. If you don't have the resurrection, you don't have any hope of eternal life. So you can have the virgin birth with no resurrection, and it's no good. You can have the resurrection with no virgin birth, and it's no good. These are fundamental doctrines. The the blood atonement, that's when Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. That's a fundamental doctrine. And the one we're looking at here is the verbal inspiration of the Scriptures. Can I tell you about this particular fundamental doctrine? It is the fundamental doctrine from which we take all other doctrines for granted. Because if we don't have the verbal inspiration of the Scriptures, then how can we trust the Bible? And by the way, that's from somebody who trusts the Bible. We, we do, I believe we do have it. And that is here, we see it in verse number 17. That is that God inspired man what to write. Man was not left to his own imaginations or thoughts. Man just didn't sit there uh, when it was time to write the Bible and say, you know, what should I write about? Hmm. No, God said, this is what I want you to write. Thus saith the Lord unto Moses. Thus saith the Lord. Amen. So uh, he was not left to his own imaginations or thoughts, but rather each was guided all the way and in every word by the sweet Holy Spirit of God. You say, Pastor, how do you get that out of verse 17? Because Jude takes them back and says, remember what the apostles wrote. They told you this was coming. 
Now, for everyone that tries to pick apart the Bible, for everyone that tries to discredit the Bible, the, the verses like this, forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, are a sock in the jaw for those kind of folks. Because he says, listen, he says, beloved, remember. Yeah, I, I just was reading Isaiah 53 the other day. Uh, Isaiah 53 is, is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. I, I read it every time we take the Lord's table. But I think there are seven times in the New Testament where Isaiah 53 is mentioned and the Lord Jesus is referenced in those. You say, what is that? It goes, points back to the Word of God. So Psalm 12 Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, Matthew 4, 4. Let's go to 2 Timothy. We're just going to go, we'll go to 2 Timothy, and then I'll give you another blank there that we're going to look at here in regards to this fundamental doctrine of the verbal inspiration of the Scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse number 16. <clears throat> really, this, this goes back to verse 14 where it says, uh, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. It's talking about the Bible. And then verse 15 says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise in salvation. But then verse 16, uh, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Theops neustos. You know what it literally means? The breath of God. That God literally breathed the scriptures through the pens of men. Thank God for that, by the way. Theops Neustos is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Let me give you the last one. Blank line. Write this down. 2 Peter 1.21. 2 Peter 1.21. Then we're going to go there, and then we're going to prayer. 2 Peter 1.21. This is so important. Listen. The devil has been attacking the Bible since Genesis chapter 3. Don't ever forget that. He, uh, it, and what he does is he puts a question mark where God puts a period. And he does that in your heart, in my heart, and everybody else, amen. And he's got minions here who do it for him. This is what 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 21 says about how you got your Bible. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I'm so glad, and, and, and listen, I, I have many faults, I have sins that I have to deal with myself. Uh, uh, by the way, don't look like you're a visitor from heaven tonight, because you do too. But I am so glad, Brother Dwayne, that when I open this book, and I read this book, that God knows my heart, I believe it is the Word of God. That's it. Now, I don't always act like it's the Word of God. I think that's probably where we all struggle, amen? But I'm telling you, every time I break this book open, I believe that God wrote it, God preserved it, and it's perfect without error. Thank God for it, amen? So he says here to these, <clears throat> these, these Christians, he says, Remember the words concerning apostates. And he says in verse 17 uh, there of Jude, he said, Remember how they told you in the last times. Remember how the apostles told you. And we're going to look next week about uh, what they told us. Amen. So we're going to go to prayer here.